0: Welcome to Solder Smoke, a podcast about wireless technology. We talk about everything from old-time crystal radios to modern digital satellites. All are welcome. Please join us in the Solder Smoke. Okay. Good morning. It's Sunday, February fifth, two thousand twelve. That makes this um, Solder Smoke one forty-one. All right, guys, a lot of good stuff to report. Exciting things going on in the Solder Smoke Shack. The magic is back. The sunspots are up. 17 meters is hopping, and I got some stories to tell you about about home brewing, troubleshooting, debugging, and then operating on 17 meters. First, I'd like to note, though, that um, <clears throat> this episode of Solder Smoke and the previous episode um, were recorded on a, a new old computer that I think adds a uh, an element of home brew and the knack to the whole. Uh, operation. Um, you know, I have computer problems from time to time, and that goes with the, the fact that we use roadkill computers here. The computer that I'm recording uh, this episode on is the Sony Vios laptop that I um, heroically repaired with the, the light bulb several months ago. Um, longtime listeners will recall that we had, this is my wife's computer, the graphics card went toes up, I was about to just dump it in the trash and then my, my knack instincts kicked in and I turned to the internet and found all kinds of suggestions on how to fix it. Basically used a light bulb to heat up the graphics card chip and resolder it to the, uh, to the board and here we are. So there's an element of homebrew here. I think we've eliminated the hiccups that we had in, uh, when I was using uh, a, um, a different uh, computer. And uh, to let me know what you guys think about uh, about the audio but uh, I'm, I'm kind of pleased that we're using a a computer that I actually fixed myself um, let's see here I, I want to talk a little bit about the um, the solder smoke lexicon we've been having some interesting contributions on the um, the sort of the the language that we use to describe what we do and in different aspects of, of the work and of course we've we've been talking about the knack and uh, Steve uh, KB3 SII long-term long-time uh, listener and supporter sent us in a, um, a, a pretty good definition <laughs> he attempted to define almost in in dictionary style the knack and uh, he created the verb to knack that's up on the blog you should take a look at that um, in the last episode Oh yeah, and I want to thank Steve. He sent me a uh, a really nice wire antenna, kind of a fan dipole kind of thing, and I'm going to put it up maybe this weekend, weather permitting, and uh, we'll see if we can get that uh, get that on the air. Um, you know, uh, in in the last solder smoke episode, I was talking about the evils of RG174, um, and I'm sure this caused some people to wonder what the heck is bill talking about but those of you who have used this stuff this is the little very very small very 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 small diameter uh, coaxial cable and it's used very frequently to carry RF around different to different parts of uh, of hF uh, transmitters and transceivers it's shielded it's a good way to to move the RF around but the shield those little sh- the shield on it that you have to kind of twirl together and then you have to solder to ground, um, almost inevitably little bits of that shielded cable will break off and they will begin to haunt the inside of, of your new rig. And just when you're getting ready to test it or just when you're getting ready to put it on the air, one of these little bits of wire will fall across a very inopportune part of the circuit and cause your receiver to go dead or your transmitter to emit smoke instead of rf there's a lot of heartache in those little bits of shield wire and mike a kc7it i mean he summed it up perfectly and you know you know what you call those little bits of wire those little bits of shield from the rg174 mike gives us this they are murphy's whiskers <laughs> murphy's whiskers Perfect. Listen from Italy. Oh no! Wait a second. I was listening to a, I was listening to another podcast, and this is sort of related, kind of related to the uh, to what we're talking about here in terms of uh, of language. I was listening to this week in radio technology, TWERT, and uh, somebody told me to give a listen to this thing, this podcast. I liked it a lot. It's uh, mostly focused on kind of uh, commercial radio broadcast technology, but uh, they they would talk. There was one segment about Um, working on um, troubleshooting and and working at the bench, and so I I had that playing as I was working on one of my rigs here, and it was very appropriate, and they were talking about soldering irons and things that you had to do with the soldering iron, and you know, recently I had problems with a soldering iron, and um, in that my Elenco soldering station kind of malfunctioned and started putting 85 volts AC on the tip of my soldering iron which is not good. Um, anyway, that was one problem and then I also had to go back a while a few weeks earlier and do some soldering on my old Weller soldering gun that I've owned since 1973. Anyway, you can see see what I'm talking about. I'm I'm soldering my soldering irons and one of the guys on twert was was talking about something similar and he he just paused and he asked the group does it tear a hole in the space-time continuum if you solder a soldering iron? <laughs> you know, I've had similar thoughts. Thanks for that, guys. And then, um, this is my favorite. This is the, the quote of the week, maybe the quote of the month. And uh, I like it because it's in Italian. It's from Mario, I3HEV. I was looking at the um, Rec Radio Amateur Homebrew uh, group. The Usenet is still out there, guys. Remember all the fun we had with that? It's still there. You have to wade through a whole bunch of porn to find the radio stuff, but the radio stuff is there. And uh, I was looking at a post from, from Mario, and at the bottom, in his little signature block, he had a, a, a quote that I, I really loved. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it up on the blog. I'm going to read it to you in Italian. I'm going to translate it for you, and I know you're all going to identify with it. And it it just it, 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 it does it doesn't really lose something in translation <clears throat> because the translation is very straightforward. But um, it's it's just it's just a lot of fun. All right, and what he, what he says is, and I'm going to have to get my hands in motion here. Imagine my fingers are together, and I'm kind of shaking my... They're pointed upwards, and I'm (laughs) I'm moving them. Non è radio amatore, se non li fuma il soldatore. I'll give it to you again. Non è radio amatore, se non li fuma il soldatore. (laughs) And it it comes out as, um, he's not a radio amateur if his soldering iron's not smoking. (laughs) Or, or you could say you're not a ham if you don't smoke solder, something like that. But you're, he's not a radio amateur if his soldering iron's not smoking. Non è radioamatore se non li fuma il saldatore. <laughs> Thank you for that, Mario. We're gonna that that belongs on a T-shirt. Maybe I'll get in touch with the uh, the boys from Cafe Press, and uh, I'm definitely gonna put it up on the blog. Um let's see, what else do we have from the world of the amateur radio um lexicon? Looking around here, looking at my list. Um no, nothing in that area. But anyway, I I had some fun with that that kind of language stuff. Um Hey, I just wanted to mention something. I came across a product that I thought was really interesting, because you know I'm 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 thinking about going to open wire feeder here. And, uh, you know, there's, old, there's old, been all kinds of articles in Sprat and QQ and other magazines about how to make your own ladder line. And I always found them a bit kind of daunting. But um, there's a product out there called Ladder Snap. And um, Dan, WA6PZB, alerted me to this. If you do a Google search for two words, Ladder Snap, it looks like a really neat little kit that you could use. To take, I think, number 16 wire and you just snap these little plastic spacers on there and it looks like the ladder line comes together real quick. So with springtime approaching in the northern hemisphere, um, some of you may be thinking about moving in a similar direction with your uh, feed line, check out Ladder Snap. I just thought it was a kind of an intriguing um, um, intriguing product. Hey, some sad news here. We um, got word that uh, copthorne mcdonald you remember we were talking about copthorne mcdonald a while back and he had this um a wonderful column and i think i think it was mother earth news called uh, new directions radio he was a big fan of the hw8 he was one of the inventors of, of uh, slow scan television and somebody sent me a um an email reporting that uh, that uh old man copthorne had recently become uh, a silent key so uh, that's a loss for for ham radio but he certainly left behind a, a great legacy for all of us in Slow Scan TV and his approach to um, renewable energy and, uh, and QRP and just the, uh, the joy of, of ham radio. So uh, uh, three cheers for Copthorne McDonald. Hey, um, let's see. What else am I looking at here? Oh, and something else here. This is kind of another sad note. Um, HCJB. You know, one of my favorite shortwave radio stations, HCJB, as a kid, I listened. I always used to listen. I used to HCJB. HCJB was always booming in, and um, I I I love that uh, that station. Anyway, HCJB used to listen. One of my favorite programs was the DX Party Line. Remember the DX Party Line on HCJB? I'm sure many of you do. Um, and I decided the other day. I said, well, Hey, I want to listen to the latest issues of latest editions of uh, DX Party Line. So I went to the internet. Googled it, and found that the party is over. No more DX party line. Oh man! Um, I think the older editions may be available on the web, but, but they they had one that I found, and it was sort of a um, kind of a the last hurrah, just kind of a look back. It it was really kind of sad. So um, anyway, that was uh, that was pretty pretty rough. Coincidentally, um, Michael. Aa1tj just recently sent me uh, a really cool book on the quad antenna by Bill Orr, another just giant of ham radio literature. And uh, the book that Bill sent was on uh, quad antennas, and there was quite a bit of uh, of discussion of HCJB and the development of the quad antenna. I'm sure you guys know the story. One of the problems they had they were using big yaggies up there in the in the Andes at the HCJB transmitter site. And they discovered that because of the, um, the the high altitude and the high power being pumped out by the HCJB transmitters, they were getting really bad coronal discharge problems at the uh, at the end of the Yagi elements, and then basically the uh, the RF was was burning up the antennas because of coronal discharge, <laughs> which is a problem that most most of us in the QRP world never face. Anyway. Um, Uh, the solution was to wrap the uh, the elements around and turn them into loops and thus was born the quad antenna anyway thought i'd pass that along we were on sort of on on hcjb topics there looking down the list here Hmm, what else we have here um oh yeah this is the um back to the lexicon there's a phrase a phrase that i like (laughs) you know somehow sometimes these kind of it's just just a, a turn of the phrase uh, sort of, you know, appeals to you, and I've heard this one a couple times recently, and it reminds me of kind of my earlier days in, in, in radio, and I'm sure it'll bring back kind of fond memories for, for many of you. You don't hear it too much anymore. The radio art, his con- his, he made great contributions to the radio art. For example, we could talk about Copthorne MacDonald, and we could certainly say he made great contributions to the radio art. Um, it, it captures, I don't know, it it captures something about the, um, uh, I guess kind of the, um, eh, it comes from the early days of radio when, you know, it was, it's, and, it, and it's still, it's not just a matter of, uh, of, um, of designing the circuit. It's, there's also a craft element in, in putting the design into operation, getting it to work right. So there's the, there's a whole... Kind of um, tradition and uh, almost an oral tradition of how to how to troubleshoot and uh, and get things going and tweak and peak and all that. And it all comes together, and I guess it can be all summed up by the radio art. I um, I Googled it and was pleased to find that it shows up in the FCC radi- regulations regarding ham radio in the United States, and it it talks about the desire. For radio amateurs to make a contribution to the radio art, so um, I mean we're not talking about radio art here in in terms of like uh, <laughs> macrame or anything like that. No, <laughs> the the art and science of uh, of uh, putting a radio transmitters and receivers on the air. So um, the radio art. Let's see. Um, bu- bu- buh, what else we got here? Uh, oh, I you know <laughs> this. Um, this 17-meter SSB transmitter that I've been building. I'm going to talk to you about it in a minute. And people have been writing to me asking me for the schematic, and I've had to apologize, saying that I I really don't have the schematic for this thing. But I went back and found the the article in Spratt that inspired the entire operation. It's in uh, Spratt, issue number 48, summer of 1986. And it is by a guy who is a real giant in the QRP world, uh, Frank Lee G3YCC. His article is the G3YCC single sideband transmitter for 14 megahertz. Uh, I have, of course, built mine for uh, for 17 meters, but uh, I was reading through Frank's article, and it, it's it's a really it's a nice little design. I really like it. It's a very simple SSB transmitter. No. Uh, No unnecessary frills and uh, just a very straightforward design. And it says here, I just read the first paragraph and it says, This rig was built with several points in mind. Firstly, it was required to be a simple TX which could be made cheaply, mainly from junk junk box bits. A total of 13 transistors are used. ICs are not employed here. I get the sense that when when Frank said here I think he meant his shack like he didn't use ICs in his shack no integrated circuits just discrete transistors and certainly I can I can sympathize I look across the page there and there's a uh, on the uh, on the opposite page uh, a George Dobbs G3 RJV in his shack with a rig and with the D104 mic I talked about that last week all right anyway anyway check it out if you're interested in the uh, design it's um Frank Lee's article that provided most of the the inspiration. Let's see what else we got here. Dun, dun, dun. All right, I guess we, I guess we got to start talking about the main activity in the last few weeks here, which has been a great. <laughs> it's a great. It's been some 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 big, not really big frustration, Some some ordinary kind of troubleshooting, um, debugging kind of problems, followed by the. The real deep satisfaction of getting a homebrew rig on the air and going. And I'm talking here about my 17-meter SSB rig. A lot of fun. Um, this is the rig, and you guys have heard the story. I built this last solar cycle out in the Azores. There's articles about There's an article about it in QST. Uh, those of you who are AWRL members can just search the QRP article archives for my call, and you'll find the article about the transmitter. But... Uh, just to, to to bring you up to speed, it's uh, frankly, his design. I built it on on the chassis of a Heathkit DX40, mostly using parts, especially the filters and crystals from a Swan 240 that had been hit by uh, lightning and power surges in the Dominican Republic many years earlier. Now the um, I, I in in my rebuild of this rig, I used uh, George Dobbs uh, G3RJV's Universal Vxo. Um, and, and for the final amplifier, I used our friend um, uh, Farhan VU2ESE's uh, JBot final amplifier. And um, anyway, it, it it all went together. I have um, matched it up with an outboard uh, linear that I'll talk about in a second. But Steve Smith out, out there in California has been waiting patiently for my uh, description of how I managed to... To tame the J-Bot, and I, I want to start out by saying, you know, the J-Bot is the design is is perfect, and and many guys have built the J-Bot amplifiers and have had no problem getting them running very quickly, very stably, uh, without any kind of um, of the uh, the heartache <laughs> that I experienced. I think all the problems that I experienced were just just the result of the way I built my model of the J-Bot. J-Bot. So I'm not I'm not hinting that there's any kind of design flaw. Or anything in the JBot. I think the design's perfect. It's just that sometimes when you build your your own amp, or certainly when I build mine, they um, they have a tendency to oscillate instead of uh, amplify. And uh, that was what was going on with uh, with this version of the JBot. Um, I knew everything was okay. I went in through and went through and checked it. I had a great time because I used my um, W7ZOI uh, 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 power meter. To troubleshoot and check and to make sure that I was getting the right amount of gain uh, from each stage that was uh that was fun it was fun to pull out that piece of gear and and use that um, and uh, and it, yeah I mean it was, the, the thing is that it was um, it was starting to oscillate you know you especially on voice peaks when I'd be speaking into the mic it would it would take off on me a little bit and I think what you what we all have to to realize when we get into Building amplifiers, especially amplifiers that get up into you know two, three, four, five watts, uh, that you really have to 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 make sure that the <laughs> the output energy is not getting back into the into the inputs either by capacitive coupling or through the um, or or through the the uh, the DC power lines or through inductive coupling, or you just have to get make sure the the Gazintas are far away from the Gazaudas, <laughs> and that there's some shielding and stuff. So, I mean, there was no real rocket scientist science, or no real breakthrough in, in how I um, how I fixed this thing. I didn't really fix it. How I got it stable, um, I what I did is I went through and just looked at it physically and saw do I have any do I have any of the um, for example a twelve volt line. To the to the amplifier is that running in a way that you know in a place that's going to pick up uh, RF energy and put RF energy that could get back into the input and yeah okay I moved the, uh, the line the wire that was carrying the 12 volts to the amplifier also you know um, um, let's see uh, Doug Dumas is a is a when you read his articles on how to stabilize amplifiers he's a big advocate of uh, ferrite beads and he's always talking about putting ferrite beads in there. And I had a in my junk box. I had a little envelope with a bunch of big, fairly big ferrite beads. And so I've I've kind of added liberal doses of ferrite to places that I thought could could use them. For example, on the uh, on the line that carries the 12 volts to the uh, to the J amplifier, I just put one of these ferrite beads on the um, on the line, wrapped it around it a couple times. And then solder the uh, the line to the little uh, PC board strip that supplies RF. Uh, supplies a uh, 12 volts DC uh, to the amplifier stage. Also, there's um, at one point in the final amplifier, there's a lead that comes up to the uh, to the input toroid that carries the uh, 0.7 volts of DC bias to the um, to the four uh, transistors in the final amplifier. And I just put a little piece of ferrite on there so that nothing but um, you know, but DC, but the 0.7 volt DC is 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 on that line, um, and a couple other places I put some ferrite. I put a bit of shielding from um, the uh, between the the um, low pass filter and the rest of of the trans uh, of, of the amplifier stage. I'm sure Steve Smith out there in California will be pleased that I did put the low-pass filter in. Yes, Steve, I am <laughs> complying with federal regulations. Uh, anyway, that's it. So there was no real big, uh, you know, um, big breakthrough. I, I did notice a couple of things. I um, in the, let me see here. I'm, I'm looking at the schematic. Um, in in Farhan's notes, he talked about how he had the um, the first amplifier stage biased at about uh, 50 milliamps, and the second stage biased at about 100 milliamps. And I checked the uh, the current going into each of them, and I found that the second stage, my second stage, uh, had only a, a, a kind of a, a quiescent current only of about 50 milliamps, and not the f- not the 100 milliamps that he described in the article. And I checked the bias voltage going to the transistor, and I found it to be. A bit lower than the bias voltage on the first transistor, so I just made a quick modification and took the bias, um, took the base resistor from 100 to 150, and this increased the uh, the voltage on the base a bit and um, brought the um, the bias, the quiescent current on that second transistor up to uh, 100 milliamps, and uh, that seemed to increase the uh, the gain from the um, from the stage a bit. Also in the first stage um forehand design has a 22 ohm resistor in the emitter and I, I wanted to try to squeeze a few more dB of, of gain out of the whole thing so without doing any elaborate uh, calculations or anything I just changed that, um, that emitter resistor <clears throat> from 22 to uh, 11 ohms and I figured that this would increase the um, the quiescent current in the transistor. That would increase the gain a bit, and also it would uh, decrease the amount of degenerative feedback from the emitter resistor. It seems to have worked. It seems to give me a little bit more gain out of it. You know, it. it um, you know, the the, the J-Bots described as a um, as a five watt amplifier. Um, but I'm not sure what frequency um, uh, Farhan was thinking about when he talked about five watts out, because I, I find that on 18 megs, uh, output goes down to about three or four watts, which is fine. And uh, Randy, uh, and God, I don't have Randy's call here, but Randy has a, has a nice video about his JBOT. If you just Google JBOT videos, you'll see Randy there talking about his. And I think he said that on 18 megs, he got about about three watts out too, which is fine. I mean, let's face it: the difference between three watts and five watts, in terms of S meter readings, is um, not really all that significant. And I think it's just a, what you'd expect as you go up in frequency with um, with the solid-state amplifier. But but I really, obviously, I've built two of them now, and I really love the the J bot So three cheers for Farhan for giving us another another great great design. Um, and there you have it, Steve. That's how I, how I debug the thing. I got it on the air and started, um, working, uh, the, uh, working 17 meters and I've had great fun, really great conversations. Um, that is my favorite band and it's a place for uh, rag chewing. It's a place where guys call CQ. It's a place where you, you do run into more homebrew equipment than on other bands. So it's, uh... It's, it's been great fun. Um, then, you know, uh, <laughs> one of the reasons I, I went from DSB to SSB on 17 meters was um, out of um, a sense of, of ham radio social responsibility. You know, um, when you run running DSB, you're using up twice the uh, the spectrum that you should be, let's face it. Um, and uh, you're basically kind of a, a double wide. <laughs> think about double wide out there on the uh, electromagnetic highway (laughs) and uh, you know Doug Dumas was the guy who got me into double sideband but uh, in his articles in CQ magazine about DSB he noted that that DSB would be kind of socially acceptable as long as you run it at low power like he was almost apologizing for it he said you know it's not going to cause that much trouble if you run it under five watts and he's right it uh, causes more trouble, of course, if you start to run more power. And and uh, when I was out there in the Azores, I felt, I guess, I felt the need for speed or the need for power, and I I wanted to to go a little bit more QRO with um, with 17 meters, but I knew that I couldn't, in good conscience, do it while running double sideband. So that was what forced me to make the uh, what I referred to as the technological leap into the 19. 19- 50s <laughs> and get rid of one of the sidebands thus was born the uh, the rig that I've been talking to you about this morning and when it came time to go qro I had I think I already had in the shack or I might have ordered it specially a um, an amplifier um, and it was the uh, amplifier a ramsey kit amplifier uh, originally for 20 meters I modified mine for uh, for 17. All right, this is a little FET-based amp from um, from Ramsey Kit, and um, Steve Smith sent me some emails, but from way back when, in which I was <laughs> obviously suffering mightily with instability problems in the uh, with the Ramsey kit, and he asked me if I how I how I solved those problems I I don't remember I guess it's it's part of those things where you put bad memories out of your mind Steve I don't I don't really remember what the problems were or what I did to fix them but I was delighted this time around when I took the Ramsey kit it's still in the little Bud box cabinet that I had uh, back back in the last solar cycle I've got a neat little meter on the front that wiggles around when I when I speak. And I just hooked it up to the uh, uh, to the SSB rig, and I didn't even mess with the um, the bias settings. I just hoped that they were good where I left them last time, and uh, and left it at that. And I fired up the rig, and I, I have this switch on the front panel called QR. Upper position is QRO, lower position is QRP. And uh, man, I looked at the uh, little SWR power meter and that needle, me, that needle was dancing up around 12, 15 watts, so, um, it, with, with about one watt input, it was putting out about 12 to 15 watts, which is just what it's supposed to do, and it, I, I got, uh, I made some initial contact, my first contact, I think, was, um, who was I talking to here, with, uh, you know, Phil K5ACR out there in Oklahoma, and, uh, Phil knew what he was talking about. He told me I was hitting it a little bit too hard. I backed off, and then he said it sounded fine. He said the audio sounded good. Talked to a bunch of other stations. Talked to um, Charlie K5 USI out there in Mississippi. He um, he said it sounded great. And I, I, I when I'm using this rig, I take great delight in, in flipping and telling them, stand by a second, I'm going to turn off the linear. <laughs> There's even a little fan. I got a little fan in there to keep things cool, and when I... Turn on the linear, you could hear the fan start to whir in the background, just like a just like a real big you know kilowatt linear. <laughs> I put a blog post up. This is my 0. 0.02 kilowatt linear amplifier. Um, but Charlie out there in Mississippi said I was at uh, S6 to S7 with only two watts. Guys are amazed because they can still hear me down at the one or or two watt level. Um, Talked to uh, Paul K2BQ down in Florida. He gave me some good reports. Um, last night I fired this thing up and, uh, was really pleased, um, because I had a really nice long rag chew with, uh, KC7UJG Tom out there in Washington state, out in the woods up by the Canadian border, uh, and Tom had grown up here in Fairfax County, Virginia. So we, we talked about, uh, the place where he grew up and what it's like now and, uh, had a, a real nice. Uh, it must have gone on for 15, 20 minutes there, uh, as 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 the sun was setting and his seventeen meters was starting to fade. But uh, had a real good conversation with Tom. Then I uh, there was a bit of a pileup on uh, CX2DK, and you know I've been I've been away from the DX game for a while, so I'm I'm kind of rusty on uh, the prefixes. And I, I the guy was speaking. He had a um, uh, a Spanish language accent in English. And uh, so I figured, I, I thought CX, for, for some reason, I thought CX was Cuba. And I was pleased to work him and I talked to him. We had a quick exchange. He gave me a report. I gave him a report. And um, only later did I, I realize that I was talking not to, to Cuba, well, but with the far more distant uh, uh, Uruguay. So we were, my little homebrew signal was uh, skipping completely over the Caribbean. Over the mighty Amazon down there to the southern cone of South America that was that was a that was a hoot I can hear the Japanese stations coming in just fine I hear uh, heard last night je1 fqV I heard um, some uh, from stations from South Korea coming in in the evening you know I, I went out and worked on the antenna because you know you get when things start going well you get you get ambitious and I thought wow I could do even better now I got the amplifier I got the rig let me go work on the antenna and uh, I was off on Tuesday of this of this week and went out with the slingshot and took this little uh, 17 meter dipole that I had. It was it was kind of a pathetically low to the ground kind of inverted V thing it, and it was a miracle that it was getting out at all. So I took the slingshot and after a couple of shots got the uh, the fishing line over the right tree branch. And I pulled this thing up, and now it's a it's a proper dipole. It's up at least half a wavelength, maybe more. It's stretched out there. Now, I'm a little bit, I was a little bit concerned because the orientation of the thing is from kind of uh, uh, northwest to, uh, to southeast, which puts the lobes, uh, one of the lobes goes down just right out over... Uh, over the South Atlantic to Africa, and the other one goes up northwest, towards, uh, up towards Alaska. And that's not exactly where um, most of the stations are, but okay, I'm, I'm now I'm here in Japan very well, and I heard a, a V51 station coming in from Namibia just fine. So I think I'm going to leave this dipole where it is. I'm going to take the, um, the, um, the kind of the fan dipole, the multiband dipole that, uh, that I was talking about earlier, and put that up with a different orientation so um, i'll be able to to, to hit i think uh, europe and um, and the southwest uh, of the united states a little bit better but you can see i'm getting ambitious here in in the in the antenna area but anyway it was a it was a great week in radio here at uh, at solder smoke headquarters and, and sometimes I put in a blog post. Sometimes the the scratch-built homebrew game can be really frustrating. And and who among us hasn't uh, sat back from the workbench when faced with a recalcitrant amplifier or, or an oscillator that doesn't want to? And uh, haven't have, who among us hasn't thought, you know, why didn't I stick with stamp collecting? Because <laughs> this can be frustrating, guys. It really can, especially if you're especially if you're in the scratch-built homebrew game. You know the kits. I think the kits are a little bit more, um, a little bit easier, a little bit more reliable. You're dealing with something that uh, somebody else has really built and tested and debugged. Once you start getting into scratch built, it's a whole new ball game. It's uh, it's an area of of the unknown, and uh, you're not quite sure whether the way you're you're building it is going to work, and you have to have the i kind of the, the patience to uh to sit there and realize that uh in this part of the hobby um some debugging some release of smoke some uh burning of the fingertips kind of goes with the territory anyway uh <laughs> but then the, but then you get the reward and the reward is when it all comes together and you're sitting there and i i still have this rig on the workbench it hasn't even moved to the operating table the the transmitter is not even in its case. It's just sitting there uh, with the the innards exposed, so I could make adjustments and things like that. But it's sitting there, and I turn it on, and uh, and I talk to a guy in Uruguay. And man, that is really the kind of the magic of uh, of HF radio. Or I get into this long conversation with uh, with Tom out there in Washington State, and believe me, it makes it all worthwhile. So uh, I think you need, just need to just need to be patient when I was a kid I would get terribly frustrated and it would be uh, then I'd turn away from it and I'd be mad at it for mad at the rig for for a week or so and then go back and I think it is a good good idea from time to time when the frustration level get, gets really high to uh, to take a break even for a few days and then go back and look at it anew but uh, yeah I think it's it's uh, it's definitely uh, definitely worth it let me see. I got some. Uh, oh, okay. As long as we're talking about um, kind of the the art, the radio art. I guess this gets into the radio art stuff and kind of the um, useful stuff that useful thing, useful items to have on your your workbench. And I've got a few here that I want to mention. You know, I I, I think it's good to have a little a little source of flame for uh, in the uh, in the in the in the radio work. At the, at the radio workbench. Um, sometimes you need to burn something. I, I use, um, everybody has their own technique for getting, for example, the enamel off of the enameled wire that we use to wind our toroidal transformers. And some guys like to scratch it off. I've heard of kind of chemical methods of getting it off. Some guys burn it off with the soldering iron. You know, I, I find for the wire that I'm using, the best way to do it is just to just to use a little flame and really quickly burn off the enamel at the end of the wire. Um, you don't want to burn it too much. It could damage the wire, I suppose. But I got one of these little fire starter things that they sell for the kitchen. You know, it's for to help people get the, um, the flame in the stove going. And it's got like a long pipe and it's got a little, obviously a little tank of butane there in the handle and a a little looks like a little electret sparker that gets the thing going. But it's quite convenient. I have one sitting here in the shack and I use it anytime I want to burn off some enamel. Um, And so that's one of the items that I'd mention. Now after you've kind of burned off the enamel you need something to scrape the residue off. And you need something to sort of polish things and clean things up and kind of brighten up a PC board before you're going to solder something to it. And for that, I use what we have here in the States called scotch bright pads. They, uh, it's, imagine kind of um, a plastic synthetic steel wool. Um, I banished steel wool from the Radio Shack many, many years ago, and I'm sure lots of you guys have done the same thing. When I first started getting into the homebrew game, I, I, uh, I thought that steel wool would be a good thing to have around because, again, it would help you polish things up. you got this PC board that's gotten kind of oxidized and you want to clean it off, so you pull out a piece of steel wool and you, you rub it over it. It looks great, but you don't realize that when you're doing that, you're leaving Murphy's whiskers, <laughs> little bits of steel wool wire. Man, don't let steel wool anywhere near your radio shack, especially, or your workbench, trust me, go with the scotch Bright pads. They're little pieces of green plastic, and they're used in the kitchen supposedly for scrubbing the pots and pans, um, and I use them here in the shack all the time, and there's no Murphy's Whiskers involved. Even if little bits of this plastic uh, break off, they're they're non-conductive, guys, so scotch Bright pads are the way to go. You know, um, uh, we, we use quite a bit of a crazy glue here to glue things to the uh, to the um, to the to the to the PC board to glue the little isolation pads down and everything else, and uh, I've been using all different brands of crazy glue, but crazy glue, but I found one that I really like, and it's called um, Lock Lockite. Let me get the bottle here. Yeah, the brand the brand name is Loctite super glue and it comes in a little blue bottle and it's I use the brand known as professional liquid and I got this little bottle here it's got a nice cap on it so it doesn't kind of seize up on you all the time and I I like it quite a bit I like it better than the crazy glue that I've been using before so I've switched over and I'm now using Loctite super glue Uh, give that a try um and then finally uh, well I mentioned uh, in last episode um Gorilla Tape. You know, we have Gorilla Glue, and now they have Gorilla Tape, and it's sort of a beefed up version of our beloved duct tape. I still have duct tape here in the shack, but for many applications, I think the Gorilla Gorilla Tape is, uh, is even better. So get some Gorilla Tape. Finally, I, I picked up something that's useful for setting up the workbench, and that's just good old-fashioned Velcro. You know, this is one of the by the byproducts of the Apollo program. <laughs> Made it all worthwhile. Um, but in the hardware stores, they'll sell you little bits of Velcro and the foam that attaches to it. And uh, I uh, put that up in the shack and I use it now to hold. I have a, I've got some, some, some shelving at the uh, the back of the workbench. And I put some Velcro strips on the back of my uh, digital volt meters. And I have them now suspended up there by velcro and if i want to move them i just grab them and you get that sound and you rip it off and uh, and it, uh, it it seems to help out quite a bit so velcro is good for hanging stuff up on, around the shack that you might want to take down quickly so those are our uh, our um, useful items for the workbench for this week hmm let's see what else we got here um let's see oh you know uh, i've been doing a lot of um Radio reading, and I've been lately. I've been back into uh, uh, G3VA's technical topics. A um, a really, uh, it's it's one of those treasure troves of ham radio literature. They're available um, in anthologies, and I have all of them. And uh, uh, Tony Fishpool also sent me a uh, a DVD, uh, a CD-ROM with all the uh, with all the Pat Hawker's Columns in there, but you know, uh, Pat. When we made the transitions from tubes to transistors, there was a period there where Pat was um, quite, uh, or I'd say, a bit pessimistic about the ability of radio amateurs really to make good use of of transistors. For a while, some of his articles indicated that unless we had access to sophisticated um, spectrum analyzers, we really wouldn't be able to do a good job with with transistors. Um, and I came across another little dose of pessimism about about the future of homebrew uh, in um, in G3VA's articles. And one thing he mentioned that I thought I found kind of curious, and I'm not quite sure about, is that that he said that um, you know, we should be concerned about the um, uh, kind of the um, the endurance of. The solder connections that we radio amateurs make when we're building our gear, and that uh, that when we solder a, a piece of, a component in there, even though it's a good solder connection when we when we make it over time, because of impurities in the way we we make the connection, these soldering connections could go bad over time. And I've never had that experience. I, I mean, I've I've made a few cold solder joints in my time, as I'm sure we all have. Not too many, but a few. But I've never had one that was good. Kind of erode over time and and go bad on me. And I wonder if you guys have, uh, because that that sounded a bit too pessimistic for me. I think it's possible to make a cold solder joint, but once you make a good one, it pretty much stays good for a, for as long as I've I've been involved in it. And you know, I got to say that I'm I I don't really follow the advice of uh, the soldering purists who talk about the need for you know really clean conditions and really clean well-tinned soldering tips. Some of my soldering tips guys are just embarrassing. I mean you you, you wouldn't want them to be seen in public but if they get hot enough to melt the solder and the solder melts and it, it really melts onto the components I, I consider it a good connection and I wonder if you guys will, uh, will let me know what you what you think about about that. Um, let's see what else we have here. Up, um, oh, We've been Bill- flying, flying Billy's model airplane. It's the Champ. Not the Piper Cub, but the Champ. Um, I also failed to mention last time that for Christmas, Elisa got me a, a model rocket. Like those old SD's model rockets. So uh, we'll be building a model rocket here in the shack. Um, here's something I want to ask you guys about. When we were talking about toroidal inductors and toroidal transformers, the rule of thumb is that you want to make the smallest winding about four times the um, the impedance that you're working on. So, in other words, if you're working on a uh, um, a winding on a transformer that will be connected to a 50 ohm load, you want that winding to have a reactance, an inductive reactance of about 200 ohms. This is kind of a rule of thumb to make sure that you don't have uh, insufficient windings in there for the transformer. What's the max? I mean, how high could you go? How high should you go? Um, because with this ferrite, the ferrite that you're using, you uh, you could easily get into uh, inductive reactances that are significantly higher than 200 ohms. I wonder what your thoughts are on... we know how low what the minimum is. I mean, the minimum is about 200 ohms of inductive reactance. I wonder what your thoughts are on how high you should go. I, I I found on the internet this week a really good email exchange from the uh, the BIDX20 mailing list, and uh, it was uh, an email from from Farhan talking about why we um, we use ferrite uh, cores in broadband transformers, and uh, it, it basically. To, to, to summarize what he said is that we use ferrite because it allows us to use a smaller number of turns to get to that 200 ohm uh, inductive reactance minimum. And if we, if we used, say, iron powder, we would have to use a much larger number of turns to get to that level of inductive reactance. And if we had to use, you know, iron powder and, and more turns, then it would be a problem because there would be capacitance introduced between the turns, and you could get into a situation where the transformer itself would be a resonant LC circuit at some HF frequency, and can cause all kinds of trouble and heartache. So um, I thought that was really interesting, but I wonder what the upper limit is there for that. Let me see, looking through the list here. Okay, well I think it's so about it. You know, I just want to let you guys know that I'm going to be at the uh, at the Winterfest. A Hamfest here in um, Fairfax County, Virginia It's at the Northern Virginia Community College in Annandale It's on Sunday, February 26th, early in the morning I'll be there, I'll have some copies of uh, Solder Smoke, the book And uh, hope to see See many of you guys who are in the area There uh, it Should be a lot of fun Solder Smoke mailbag. Ooh, that's awesome yeah, indeed. Solder smoke mailbag. Alright, let's see. What do we got here? All kinds of stuff. Um let me see. Thanks to Corey out there for sending me some thumb drives that helped us cure the hiccups. Thanks a lot for that, Corey. Thanks to Michael, AA one T J for sending me two books. One about um Let's see. Uh, just QRP circuit book. Really great old book. 103 Simple Transistor Projects by Tom nitel, K-N-E-I-T-E-L. K-N at the beginning of the last name. Somehow significant here, guys. Nack Nitel. that's a writer book. It looks like it's from early 70s. All kinds of really cool projects in there. Thanks for that, Michael. And I mentioned earlier the All About Cubicle Quad Antennas by Bill Orr, W6SAI. is also list, of, list his call as 382AF. And um, the story of the cubical quad antenna, um, great, great story, a big adventure there, shows a picture of the studios of HCJB. In the year 1939, a group of radio engineers from the United States traveled to the South American Republic of Ecuador to install and maintain the missionary radio station HCJB. To ensure the best possible reception of HCJB in the United States, a gigantic four-element parasitic beam was designed, built, and erected with great effort, and centered upon the heartland of North America. And then we hear about the Quad. Let's see, (laughs) it says here, the corona discharges were so loud and so intense that they could be seen and heard singing and burning a quarter mile away from the station. The music and programs of HCJB could be clearly heard through the quiet night air of the city, as the RF energy gave fuel to the crowns of fire clinging to the tips of the antenna elements. Yikes! The joyful tunes of studio music were transformed into a dirge of doom. For the station, unless an immediate solution to the problem could be found. It fell to the lot of Clarence Seymour, W9LZX, one of the engineers at HCJB, to tackle this problem. It was obvious to him that the easily ionized air at the two-mile elevation of Quito could not withstand the high-voltage potentials developed at the tips of beam antennas. The awe-inspiring to the natives corona discharge would probably disappear if it were possible to operate HCJB at a sea-level location. However, this was impossible. The die was cast, and HCJB was permanently settled in Quito. What to do? Anyway, um, our hero goes on and designs the quad. (laughs) Thanks for sending that to us, Uh, Michael. Very good. Um, We got another book. Another really cool book came in. and It came to us from the heart of New York City from W2DAB david up there in in the big apple sent us this book that's a collection of circuit ideas from 73 magazine i didn't even know about this but it's ham radio ideas and it came out around the same time but it's uh, for fans of 73 this is great this is like having a portable little compendium of great ideas from 73 magazine to carry around with you thanks thanks very much for that david very good Stephen G7VFY alerts us to a new Chinese manufactured 40 meter SSB rig apparently got a VXO in there and uh, you could check it out at qrvtronics.com that's the US distributor got some nice email from from an old pal from 17 meters all this activity on 17 made me think of Michael EI0CL Michael is an amazing guy you you could read about him in Solder Smoke the book He's, he's so amazing that for, uh, for a long time my wife refused to believe that he was real. <laughs> I kept telling her about this amazing guy who divides his life between the Canary Islands in Ireland and London and operates many businesses and builds airplanes and hunts uh, wild boar and sails a boat to the Faroe Islands and uh, who met his wife at gunpoint in the Omani Desert Larger-than-life character, but I assure you Michael is completely for real, um, and he's doing well. Uh, we exchanged emails, and, you know, I wish I could talk to him again on this uh, on this 17-meter uh, rig because uh, meeting him was one of the best parts of building this rig the last time I built it. Who knows? If conditions improve and I do a little bit better on the antenna front, I might be talking to Michael again, but it was great to hear from him. Um, Bob, KD4, EBM. Alerts me to a good place to visit, the National Electronics Museum, up there near Baltimore. We'll, we'll have a we'll have a have to make a trip up there. Our friend out in uh, California, Roger, gave us some tips on how to take pictures with Billy's brownie camera, without uh, exposing the film and messing up the whole thing. Thanks very much for that, Roger. Good, always good to hear from you. Got a nice email from Martin N V three V Norway Victor three Victor also known as LU1CBL, what a cool call. He's um, looking for information regarding uh, circuits for a homebrew antenna analyzer, and he's going to be at Winterfest uh, there in Annandale, and I hope to see him there. I I, I Really, I'm going to try to come up with some ideas, but if anybody has some ideas for a homebrew antenna analyzer, I know there was one uh, real simple one in Spratt recently, Um, and we'll, we'll have to talk about that when we see each other, Martin. Been getting a lot of email from our uh, our man on the West Coast, Steve Smith, WB6TNL, aka Steve Snortrosen Smith. He's been providing some very helpful advice and encouragement regarding my amplifier problems, and has been quite diligent and insistent on the uh, the need for um, uh, low pass filters. You know, and uh, you know, always uh, make sure. I'm sure he's he's you know. Always wear your helmet on the bicycle, and fasten your seat belts, and uh, wear those safety glasses, and all that good stuff. Steve, you're right. I'm I'm kidding you. I know. I know you're uh, uh, you're, you're you're looking out for our best interests here, and keep trying to keeping me out of the out of the FCC jail. Uh, w um, Let's see, John WB6MGI. Uh, he was the guy who alerted me to the Twerk podcast that I mentioned earlier. Matt, W6CSN, is a really big fan of the podcast and went so far as to read the other book, the one that's not about radio, Contra Cross. He says he likes it. So uh, thanks for that, Matt. Thanks for the feedback. Uh, Adam, Adam, Victor Kilo 6 Golf Alpha, he made the move from Perth back to the east coast of Australia. He told us this was pending. He is now VK2YK. And during the trip... uh, from Perth back east to the east coast of Oz, as he put it. He made some um, AO-51 satellite contacts from atop Mount Uluru. Man, That's one of those Australian names that makes you want to move to Oz. Um, Chris KJ6TBS, he likes the podcast and just got his ham radio ticket. Congratulations to you, uh, Chris. Uh, Greg KC2DWT he sent links to me about the um, amazing AM broadcast radio station, WLW. Excellent. Several uh, of our listeners, and I think uh, something that may be an indication of the extreme knackishness, uh, pointed out that when I referred to the soul, the book Soul of the New Machine by Tracy Kidder, I said that the new machine was um, built by the company DECK. Not true. Aha! Came the uh, the responses. It's that computer was made by Data General. I stand corrected. <laughs> uh, Chris Katie 4 pbj uh, he's building a Jbot amplifier. He thanks Sutter Smoke for getting him hooked on MEPTs. The um, what are that manned elect manned electronic propagation transmitters. The beacons. You guys know what I'm talking about. The beacons. And finally, in a humorous note related to the affliction that we all suffer with, Brent, KD0GLS, writes in and reports that he was recently on the phone with a very nice lady at DigiKey, the uh, parts manufacturer, trying to work out some questions he had about the catalog. And she was very helpful, and he, he took her name and her last name, is knack k-n-a-c-k there you go she's working at the right place thanks very much guys hope you enjoyed the podcast good luck with all your projects keep us posted on on progress 7-3 from northern virginia the solder smoke podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of northern virginia the podcast is available via itunes and directly from our website soldersmoke.com our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to sodersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book Solder Smoke Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics available from Lulu.com begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page in this way Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts coffee mugs and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at CafePress.com if you have a small business consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!